Hello, and welcome to Kier Here, a podcast where I interview weirdo artists, writers, and makers about what they do. I'm your host, Kier Adrian Gray. You can sign up for my newsletter to receive new episodes and other strange goodies straight to your inbox at kier.substack.com. Our guest for today's episode is Chani B. Chani B, like you, is a self-regulating interactive art installation created by a mysterious artist of unfathomable brilliance. Through singing, songwriting, elaborate doodling, and generally acting a fool, they aim to share with you the joy, wonder, and gratitude they feel for the terribly strange gift of being alive. We are going to kick off today's episode with a song. Remind me kindly of my 
Tree Stump Dude by Channy B. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, so good to be here. It's actually Lanky Tree Strut Dude. Strut Dude. Yeah. Excellent. Strut dude. I, was, yeah. I was so worried I was going to get that wrong and then I did, but you're here to correct Fine. me. <laughs> I feel like there was the, you were at the show um, like a couple weeks back or whatever now. And there was someone, when the song was requested, they requested Lanky Tree Stump Dude. <laughs> yeah. So I remembered the wrong version that you corrected back then too. That's how Yeah, that's how I it goes do. sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the funny thing is that stumps are like kind of inherently not lanky, right? They're short and stout. True. <laughs> oh my gosh. So yes, I did see your performance at Cafe de Soleil a couple of weeks ago. And there was a delightful story involving your uncle that went along with that song. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, Would you mind sharing? Shall we have it? it? Yes. Not at all. Yeah. Um, let's see here. So I was up in Bella Coola, and um, that's like about halfway up the coast of BC. And it's a gorgeous little place there. Well, and um, yeah, you can go just like walking in the mountains like every day. And um, yeah, so my uncle, I noticed that he had a crossbow and I was like, ooh, are you like doing some hunting with that? And he was like, no, not yet, just target practice. And um, yeah, and then he basically was like, you know, like the deer here, eh? they're not indigenous, white folks just brought them in. And they're, they're eating everything. They got no natural predators. And, you know, um, as I said before, too, you know, my uncle and I, we are both white. But, like, just the animosity <laughs> he had about the whole thing um, was cute. So he was like, but, you know, so I, like, basically could just rig a bell up to my kale and uh, I wouldn't even have to leave my porch. <laughs> and my neighbors would thank me. I'd be doing us all a favor. So, um I was like, well, righty then. And then the next day, he was like going on about the magic of anagrams, which is seemingly unrelated. But anyways, we get out all these Scrabble tiles and we spell out our full names. I should have done the research here too, because as you'll remember at the show, I don't remember my uncle's middle name, but it's Kelly something Nestegard. And um, when you rearrange the letters in his name, you can spell lanky tree strut dude which is great because he's just like walking in the forest every day he's like six foot four he's a bean pole of a man very intelligent bean pole of a man and um and uh yeah so but you do have a couple letters left over so i had to go back and see what else i could come up with and it turns out that a perfect anagram for his name is Dear Trust, 
sly kale tang, which like is ridiculous. I was like, what? Um, yeah, so that if, if you uh, listen close, you can, you can hear that come up in the song. I'm not sure how clear the vocals are because I know what I'm saying. <laughs> I think when you know to look for sly kale tang, you will find it for sure. Yeah, it's not a phrase often uttered, but <laughs> oh, it's lovely. Just the stuff to, is coming to up start in a, the garden. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to start a <laughs> partnership with uh, Jugo Juice. See if they want to start selling the sly kale tang for me. <laughs> I, yes, I could certainly see you as Jugo Juice's uh, next spokesperson for sure. Excellent career yeah. choice. <laughs> yeah, it could be my road to fame. I suspect that they probably don't want a partnership with just random guys who write weird songs, but you never know. You never know. You never know. I mean, I really do feel like in another era, you would have been a wandering minstrel. <laughs> Your songs, they combine this social and political commentary with these supernatural scenarios, but they still feel like they happen here on Earth. Do you, mm -hmm. do you relate to uh, the, the minstrels of, of times past? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, I would argue that actually I... I am a wandering minstrel <laughs> and that mm -hmm. it's just not like really uh yeah it's not like a so much a slot that that needs to be filled <laughs> in modern times but yeah very much like among the wandering minstrels and the court jesters of of yore as they say mm -hmm. <laughs> of yore I think I think they say that <laughs> whoever they yeah <laughs> do the kids still say that of yore <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't understand any children anymore. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> oh, yeah. we're old. <laughs> we're, get, we're getting up there. Um, the song that you opened with at your mm -hmm. performance, it was with a friend of yours. And that mm. song, it felt ancient. It just made me think of like streams and glades and forests and it was it was enchanting can hmm. you tell me a bit about your your friend who you were harmonizing with and that song oh, I would, yeah I'd love to um I was so grateful to have them with me their name is Katie. They also go sometimes by Tweety Twat because they have a bird school for humans, which is like truly wild in the best sense of the word. Um, I have not attended yet, so I'm not exactly qualified to speak to it. But um, yeah, Katie and I went to, we were in the same program in high school for five years. And um, we weren't really close in those times. I mean, I kind of had my head up my ass for most of it anyway. So, but like we recently, um, I'm sure this will come up later, but we reconnected kind of through the wizard community. And then, um, yeah, it's just been a real pleasure to get to know them again. Um, they're also in a, a 
collective called Her Tribal Roots. And I saw them perform yesterday. Very cool sort of multimedia collaborative mix of like choreographed and improvised song and dance and poetry, um, some bird whistling, of course. Um, so yeah, I just kind of reached out to them coming up to the show and was like, I would love for you to come and, and sing with me. And they offered like just exactly what I was looking for, which was like a sort of grounding presence and like a reminder to be playful and not take myself too seriously. And um, I'm just really glad that it had that sort of transportative effect for you because I think, you know, part of opening the show that way is like selfish for me because it's like transportative. It gets me to the place that I wanna kind of start from. And it's so nice that it can just be a journey for everyone to share. And it's like a little bit of like, a, let's wander down the pathways and find a little clearing in the forest, you know, that we can all hang out together in. Yeah. Absolutely. It really felt like it opened up the space for the rest of your set. And one of the reasons that I really think people should see your live performance is your physicality on stage. And in particular, your facial expressions, because <laughs> your head will wobble on top of your neck and your eyes will widen and close and your eyes will roll back in your head and you're smiling and you're growling and it <laughs> is captivating. It is hard to look away when you're on stage. And I just have to ask, like, are those just the expressions that arise as you make music or is that something that you've layered purposefully into your performance oh I absolutely can't help it at all I like um <laughs> yeah I don't I mean Katie and I both went to the same clown school called Fantastic Space um studied with a man named David McMurray Smith who's just a fucking gem of a of a human being if you could call him that and um <laughs> one of the best like teachers I've ever had in my life and I think a lot of the process of my musicality is kind of informed by that because there's a lot of like body work and there's a lot of like taking cues from the body and I was actually just having a conversation yesterday with a percussionist who happened to be in the show uh, that Katie was doing um, with her tribal roots. And I had not seen him in a while, but we got to talking about how, you know, if you're writing and you're rehearsing and all of these things, like the brain has such a prominent role to play, but when it's time to like perform, you kind of have to be like, okay, brain, love you. Thank you for all your help up until this point. Kindly fuck off. <laughs> you are not needed <laughs> um so I really do I think part of that like having the meditative opener kind of helps me settle into that space where I can just kind of trust that my body knows what to do and I I, I don't think I could squeeze those sounds out of me you know <laughs> if it, if I wasn't doing all the sort of shimmying and shaking yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was one song that you did entirely in falsetto from start to finish that looked like it might have been a workout, but you totally pulled it off. 
I'm glad to hear that that was the way it was perceived. I'm getting increasingly like just annoyed with that decision. And I think I mentioned that actually that like, cause the, I played one new song and there was kind of like a, melodies tend to come to me in falsetto. And I've just kind of realized, you know, like no matter how I feel or identify in any given moment, like I am inside of a man's body. And, and you know, uh, part of, like, there is a power in the lower register that, like, I really found, like, oh, it's easier for me to actually access my higher register if I travel through the lower register. Um, so, um, as much as, like, stylistically, I still stand by that choice, and, like, I don't, I don't want to have any more songs like that <laughs> it's time to explore the the lower the lower qualities maybe yeah I got off stage at the uh, open mic same same venue cafe du soleil like a couple weeks before that show and the first thing my sister said to me she knows me way too fucking well so I can't hide from her but like she just looked at me and she was like you need an outlet for your anger. <laughs> and I just was like, well, um, I don't have any retort uh, for that. <laughs> you, you're, you're true. <laughs> yeah. Noted. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, I have this like super nice, simple, easy question that I wanted to ask you, which mm -hmm. is, do you have a mission here on earth? <laughs> I can sense a little bit of the sarcasm in the lead up there. <laughs> oh my goodness. I do, I do uh, have, I have a very visceral sense of, uh, of a mission here on earth. Um, it's, uh, I think by nature, partially veiled to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, I feel like it kind of just gets like dispensed. I can see as much of it as I need to. Um, but I guess like to like present uh, some sort of simple framework, um, I definitely uh, came into this world like singing and dancing and rapping myself in scarves and pretending I was an ostrich and uh, shit like that. And then I went to school and I was like promptly informed that my approach to existence was just fucking way off. Oh no. <laughs> and like my, yeah, my tender little brain just like really was taken imprints in a way that like, you know, it doesn't really anymore and I and so that's I guess a little bit of what I was talking about when I said you know I had my head up my ass for most of high school I was just trying really hard to toe the line and failing perpetually and then kind of towards the end of that getting into like theater we had a pretty great theater program Katie and I were actually in some plays together and that was kind of I think my introduction to safe space like we didn't use those words but it was my first kind of experience of being like oh okay like I'm really like free to 
explore and express myself here and that's embraced and encouraged and that was very new for me and then around that time I also was like starting to make friends with girls and and uh I took mushrooms for the first time I don't know if I can speak <laughs> that on the radio I'm kidding people fucking sell them in storefronts now but like uh yeah I kind of had this very potent sort of uh, I'll reuse the word visceral sort of reconnecting moment with my like inner child and just thinking about like my, my five-year-old self and well it would have been four but like right before going to school and just like yeah I for a brief window there really felt like it was easy to maintain the priority of like connecting with my like authentic self and and expressing that and really just a lot of faith that you know whatever needed to be shedded whatever connections needed to be shedded whatever needed to be attracted like that was just going to happen naturally and you know it it did like my whole life transformed in a really beautiful way and then, of course, there's like always the trap of being like, oh, no, I actually like my life. What did I do to get here? How did I make these people like me? And how do I repeat that? You know, so it's not a, uh, you never really get to set up camp. But I do feel like, you know, if I do a performance and somebody tells me that really inspired me to be free and express myself in whatever way that like I long to like that's when I feel like I'm living my mission you know mm. I don't the last thing I want to hear is like oh wow you're so good at that I could never do that you know and I'm like okay well I better quit then like that's, <laughs> that's exactly the opposite of what I'm trying to and I know that feeling you know <laughs> that's why I throw yeah. those the mistakes in there as intentionally you know to totally <laughs> <laughs> it makes us yeah I'll feel like we could be up there too no it's so interesting to hear you talk about that though because another question I had for you is around this thread that runs through your music through your clowning your costuming your illustrations and it is this playfulness and it does mm -hmm. really feel like most of us lose it somewhere along the way it's very hard to to hold on to it as we grow into adults and so mm -hmm. my question which you have already gotten to was around like was it always with you or was it something that you had to come back to at a certain point and I think hearing yeah. that like you were separated from it in the school system and you found your way back that's really powerful for those of us who are trying to figure out how to loosen up a little bit <laughs> and enjoy ourselves more. Yeah, for sure. Well, I never would hope to create the illusion that like, you know, that that's not like uh, work that I have to do every day too. Like it's wild when you are like a performer and you are kind of known within a small circle of people to like, have that playful energy and then it almost um you know whether or not you're 
making money really I mean, it, it, everything kind of gets commodified and then all of a sudden you're like oh you know like you're very serious about recreating this sort of magical playful energy right there's just like that trap where it can always yeah so um luckily enough i mean the uh performance that uh, that you were at like i was i think kind of with the help of katie able to like set the stage to like becoming from an authentic place of of play but mm-hmm. um i think what you're saying about the having lost it and come back to it is it's really poignant and powerful because there was a time in my life where I really kind of judged myself harshly for having just fallen under this spell and just you know I could think of all the people that I kind of went to school with who you could almost think of it as like having had the courage to just be ostracized for for continuing to pursue their authentic selves, you know, oh. and like, you know, I, I, the way like shit rolls downhill too. So I wasn't always the kindest to those people, you know, I was at the bottom of the pecking order in my friend circle, but you know, so sometimes if someone was below me, you know, I've had some apologies to make over the years, but I, I realize now that like having had that journey of, of being disconnected from my authentic self and and then finding my way back has really allowed me for a a broader um i guess i could say like bandwidth as far as like empathizing with people goes and i do think Mm -hmm. that like um the way that i kind of view the world spiritually which is that never uh easily expressed in words but has a lot to do with that idea of losing our connection to a greater whole and finding our way back there's something about the nuanced perspective that comes with that and the sort of uh increase in gratitude that can come with like knowing what it's like to be without something yeah it strikes me that if it had, if you had never lost it, it would have been easier to take it for granted mm-hmm. and to not realize like how incredible that playfulness is and what a gift it is. And the way you describe being able to relate other people that are trying to find their way back there, that's, yeah, it's, there's something powerful about that for sure. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I heard a rumor that you have been spotted roving about town with a band of wizards. And I was wondering if uh, my source was hallucinating or if this was indeed the case. Well, there's an argument to be made that we're all hallucinating. (laughs) Um, But yeah, there's definitely some some truth to that. there's a, a transmutation that takes place. So it's not Chani B, um, but um, Ramshackle rather, uh, who, yeah, ha- has been known to rove amongst the merry band of wizards, um, which was um, sort of a, 
yeah, a fever dream kind of brought into the public sphere by one uh, Nate Nate Nainers, who your dedicated listeners would be familiar with. Um, yes. Yes. I'm actually and... sitting next to the, the hat here. I wanted, I wanted to ask you about that hat. So is that Ramshackle's hat? That is Ramshackle's hat. I'm sure he wouldn't mind if we, here. Oh, yeah. Wow. So we can't really fit both of us in the frame, but that's <laughs> but the bat wings and uh some would third you be eye able, uh, oh yes yeah. so we've got two bat wings coming off of this like cone-shaped hat and then mm -hmm. there's all this colorful sort of pastel braiding that wraps around the cone and then this multicolored fuzzy fur kind of around the rim of the hat it is spectacular yeah, <laughs> yeah it works i am I'm pretty proud of it. I kind of just had this idea and I have no real technical know-how. So I'm like very surprised that this just like kind of actually functions. Um, it's just all cardboard and really? coat hangs underneath. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, like hot glue and patience will get you everywhere, really. <laughs> As long as it does yeah. not start pouring, you're good. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, this does not go in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have to figure out some sort of um, some finish for the inside because uh, when I sweat in it, it gets kind of gnarly, I think. Oh. <laughs> but I do something about it before it starts growing mold. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Ain't that the truth with all the most spectacular costumes? They're just terribly uncomfortable. <laughs> Certainly, yeah. <laughs> so I saw uh, this series of photos that you sent me, and they looked like, I'm going to take a guess here, that they were from a festival. And you were in this sort of flowing outfit with about a hundred neon necklaces on and you yeah. had sort of like this pilot's hat except it was floral and it had these antennae Ooh. coming off of it with these orange puff balls yeah is your yeah. memory coming back <laughs> oh, no, for sure i do i was just thinking i have it i could that one i could probably put on now if we want a visual aid Oh, that Does sounds wonderful. That? Okay, I'm going to disappear for a second. I'll come back. <laughs> and oh, yes. <laughs> These kind of, there we go. Oh my gosh, yes. This is the hat. This is the hat. Yeah, so that was at Artswells, which um, RIP, like my favorite festival of of all time apparently the organizers have moved to the okanagan so they're oh, no. doing a different they're doing a different thing um but wells is just this beautiful little town like uh originally was like a mining town and just like beautiful colorful giant victorian homes nestled in the middle of the mountains and just super community vibe and i got invited out there to be part of a clown troupe 
So I had this really ambitious clown turn that like didn't really land, but then we also did roving work. And that's kind of what you saw the photos of. Um, my friend, Julia Wu Wei, who's like super cool clowny person, um, is also like an acupuncturist. And um, so she suggested that we do fake healings for people. Yes. Okay. Cause I saw this picture. There's someone who's laid out on a table. You are leaning over them. Someone else is leaning over them. Tell me what's going on there. Um, yeah, we were just like, basically, uh, just like shouting out to people being like fake healings, fake healings, 100% bona fide fake healing. <laughs> And everyone was so fucking into it. They were like, fake. <laughs> wow. <laughs> There's something about that. this like full disclaimer of just like, this is totally fake. And then we, we, the joke was we kept having to be like, oh shit, we better be careful or we might actually heal someone. <laughs> but um, it was, yeah, it was great. We just had people lie down on the table and there was a clown horn that we would honk at like just the wrong moment. Um, I had this actually, all my little toys are right next to me. You can hear this is like a Fisher Price toy. Yeah, That was really nice to like put over people. Then we would like, yeah, tickle them with streamers and have them drink pickle juice out of an impossibly long straw. It was great. <laughs> I thought I saw a jar of pickles in there, but I love mm -hmm. pickles so much that I thought maybe I was just imagining it, but there really was a jar of pickles. There were pickles, yeah. Excellent. Pickles and pickles. Of, yeah. <laughs> Key components of a fake healing. <laughs> so good. It also looked so much like healings that I've experienced that did not purport to be fake so <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a it's a good pretense because it really just takes the pressure off right so, you're promising yeah. nothing yeah yeah exactly and then we have oh, to yeah. ha I think you'd have to have people sign a disclaimer to say like we're not responsible for any actual healing that might take place <laughs> It's totally unintentional. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah oh we're gosh. doing our best to just be bogus here. But <laughs> what I love about that as well is I feel like the placebo effect doesn't get enough attention where like if someone thinks that something will make them feel better, it often does, even if there's no like scientific basis for that. So there's yeah there's something there although I mean like as you did bring up I mean like I, there is a scientific basis for the placebo effect itself right right um, yes and that's like anything that the effectiveness of any medicine or or modality has to be measured against the placebo effect because it does have a significant influence so yeah even um even shysters can can help you out in a pinch so you may have accidentally healed people that's that's all i'm saying yeah that's laughter true. is the best medicine <laughs> absolutely
Um, I would like to talk about the book that just came out last month. Uh, the Heck title yeah. is uh, It's Gonna Be Sick as Hell. It's written by Nate Nate Nainers, uh, released by Warfinger's Press, and illustrated by Jenny. Me. <laughs> yeah, the, the illustrations uh, that you drew are so lush and they're so intricate and what I really enjoy about them is each time I go back I can spot new little details that had evaded me the first time mm. they're like little easter eggs in there <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely that's that's what I like to do so I'm glad, I'm glad. yeah the other thing that I noticed is you there's like a flow of time contained in these illustrations, like, cause mm. each illustration goes with an entire story and it's remarkable the way that so much of the story can be captured in a two-dimensional unmoving illustration. Mm. And I was curious about how this collaboration came about and what was your process? creating these drawings? Oh, well, um, so it was like early COVID days and um, it's probably come across thus far in the interview that I'm like a very social creature. So I was kind of freaking out, trying to figure out how to like remain engaged within my community. And one of the things that I had done was I put a little call out to be like the first five people to respond to this. I will, I will draw you riding a magical animal of your choosing. Or I think actually just alongside riding was maybe not in there, but um, yeah. So I got about too deep into the promised five. And then I, was having a chat with Nate. Another thing that I was doing was just calling literally everyone that I knew, like people I hadn't talked to in years, just being like, so the fucking world, huh? And like, <laughs> so Nate and I were talking and we were not like, especially close at that point. We were kind of just acquaintances that had like seen each other around being like, you do weird things. That's cool. I love weird things. I also do them. <laughs> and uh yeah, Nate just kind of mentioned, hey, I started, like I'd always known Nate as a storyteller and they were like, yeah, I just uh, started writing my stories down and I'm thinking it could be a book and I'm thinking it could be illustrated and I'm thinking I'm looking at your drawings and I like what I see, do you catch my drift? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, and I was pretty, nervous about it in a way because I have never done anything like that um but I thought what the hell I am so desperate <laughs> for something to occupy me and so we just started talking and I had no idea at the beginning really that the I'm not sure Nate did either but that the the stories were kind of coming 
together around this central theme of like exploring healthy masculinity. And um, mm. yeah, Nate and I had a lot of talks that I think were therapeutic for the both of us as just being like male bodied queer people in a very sort of nuanced journey. And uh, yeah, kind of the subject matter that Nate wanted to explore was very, we'll say kind of kismet for me because I really was at the point in my journey where I had really fought to reclaim um, my relationship to the feminine. And then I kind of was thrown off balance in a whole new way and really trying to figure out how I could embody masculinity in a way that I felt was not problematic or threatening to people around me. Um, and so, yeah, those, those conversations were uh, really beautiful to have. Um, I guess as far as the like actual, like doing the drawings part of it, uh, it was very touch and go, um, the process of it, because I'd never really been accountable to someone else's vision. Um, so that was what was really new for me. Like normally I just put pen to paper and see what happens. And I kind of loathe laboring an image out of my head because as soon as I can already see it, I'm like totally bored. I'm like, who cares? <laughs> But this was the first time that I had like really bothered to like draft it in pencil first and then, you know, like really be considerate of like the composition and trying to get things balanced. And then, as you mentioned, like trying to like make sure that the story is done justice. It didn't seem right to me to just pick a snapshot um, and, and put it in there. It's kind of like, okay, how can we reference, like, as you said, the, the journey of the thing? Um, so I don't know, it, it definitely there was a lot of like putting the pen or pencil down and just like ruminating on it and thinking about it. And like, that was like the hardest work for me was like the marks that I didn't make. Cause normally I get all carried away and then, you know, you reach a, point of balance and then you make one mark that implies another hundred and you're like oh fuck what have I done <laughs> um and and then you know you got to put a hundred marks in there and maybe it's a little busy and you're like well that took away from it but um so I don't know yeah it was um quite the learning experience people were very gracious with me it was a lengthy process to say the least <laughs> <laughs> yeah books take a really long time I don't know if people realize mm -hmm. how much how many steps there are and uh yeah it's it's a whole big thing mm -hmm. for sure how uh, how did okay first I would love to describe the launch event for this um book okay yeah uh, it was in mid-May at the bookcase in Maple Ridge, which is this bookstore. It was a beautiful day, weekend afternoon, and um, I pull up a little bit late as usual. And 
there's this little crowd kind of making this half circle in front of the store and Nate is standing there reading a story aloud and it's a beautiful day and it was just so joyful. Everyone there was so happy to be there. No one was there by accident. <laughs> or if they were there by accident, I couldn't tell because there was so much enthusiasm <laughs> and warmth. And uh, yeah, how did it feel to get to the end of that process and just see people receive your work? It was wild. Yeah, I think so many times during that process, I really lost sight of the fact that there would be a finished product. Um, <laughs> so it was exciting to like see like oh this is like I think the line of the day at the launch was it looks like a real book <laughs> <laughs> I think that was my friend Tina yeah <laughs> yeah well god bless Tina um that's a was it's a great line I'm I'm fighting for that to be the new quote on the cover of the second edition <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was really cool. Every time I get to see Nate do like a live reading or a storytelling moment, I just am I'm just thrilled. Like I think Nate did an excellent job of of putting them to page, but I do I do think like anyone who gets the chance to see Nate live should should jump at it because like they have been longtime sort of oral tradition storyteller before they started writing stuff down, um, or at least anything that led to a, a published book. But um, yeah, it's such a it's such a wild ride, um, you know. And even like Nate read a story on the at the show at Cafe du Soleil, which you know, and. Uh, you know, we were talking about what story he might read. And I was like, you know, I trust your judgment. Just know that my mom is in the audience. <laughs> because, you know, my mom, my mom's cool. And like, we talk about like, whatever, but you know, there's at least one story in there that I'm like, really gonna encourage my mom not to read. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. I think it's even in the book, which like I was, I believe a suggestion of mine to have a page that said, Seriously, mom, dad. That's in there. Reading. Yes, that made it to the final yeah. edition. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's so cool to go on that ride with Nate where there are all these little moments where like things are like quite profane or quite disconcerting or unsettling. And I think the beauty of Nate's work is that those moments are never just in there for shock value. They're never just in there to be like, ooh, I'm edgy or, you know, I mean, like, obviously, I, I think, I hope it's obvious to everyone that Nate's not trying to be like a quote unquote serious writer, even <laughs> though they like take their work seriously, you know, but like um, every moment of like darkness and unsettlingness or profanity like it always kind of lends itself to um 
a real like wholesome um, and like heartfelt moment or message or what have you. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's a real um, earnestness there. Totally. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's a, <laughs> it's interesting that you mentioned that because there is the edge lord thing where you know you have swear words or you have you know controversial um, things happen, but although there are swear words in that book, I think uh, <laughs> it never, like you said, that there's a reason for it, and um, and I feel that way about the songs that I have heard from you as well. That mm -hmm. emotions are never being exploited you're never just sort of opening yourself up for shock value and hoping that mm -hmm. you can just coast on that there's something really compelling and touching because there's like a wholeness to your lyrics and kind of to the journey of the songs from start to finish mm. well thank you so much for saying that I'm that's what I hope to accomplish it's nice to hear it comes across i did get like the best compliment uh about a month back from someone that was just like you know like some people are out there like trying to be weird and like you are one of the most authentically strange people i have ever seen and i was like oh thank you i forgive you for making that mistake I, I am, in fact, the standard of normality from which all things depart. But <laughs> I understand that it seems strange to you, and I'm glad that brings you joy. <laughs> How wonderful. If we could all aspire to uh, invite as much mischief and curiosity into our lives as you do, I think we would all be better for it, for sure. <laughs> well Channy B I was wondering do you have anything coming up that you'd like to tell people about oh boy I've been dreading the the plug segment um <laughs> I yeah I I'm scheming and, and dreaming right now I'm on a familiar precipice that I don't think I've ever properly let off of but um wherein like I'm looking to try to like get some of my stuff in in some packages <laughs> and, and make it accessible for people um so I don't really know necessarily I mean people could be if anyone has, has seen this and is curious um if we could leave a link to my Instagram, I do tend to advertise things there. Um, yes, yeah, we'll put that in the yeah. show notes. Cool, sounds good. And it yeah, sounds I'm like to think. Go ahead. you might have an illustrator page that will launch on Warfinger's Press at some point. Yeah, absolutely. It's cool to uh, to know that they were like, yeah, you know, you're you're under our wing now. So anything that you want to do in the future, I, I do have some, um, some nursery rhymes that I'm, I 
thinking about illustrating. And so it'd be cool to get those published. That sounds wonderful. And Warfinger's Press already has this delightful uh, swear word coloring book for kids. So I think that a <laughs> book of uh, nursery rhymes from uh, Chani B could fit very well with that. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. I have always actually wanted to make a coloring book simply for the reason that like I uh, make these elaborate black and white illustrations and and I would love for them to be colored but I don't have the patience and so <laughs> I always thought it would be fun to make a coloring book that's just called you do it <laughs> that's excellent that's, that's yeah <laughs> Beautiful. I, I cannot wait and I could not say no to you. So I will definitely have to color if I get my hands on that. <laughs> well, I will be very thankful. I look forward to being able to trick people into doing half my labor. <laughs> so good. Well, uh, thank you so much for speaking with me today, Chani B. Uh, this has been Kira here a podcast where I interview weirdo artists, writers, and makers about what they do. I'm your host, Kira Adrian Gray. You can sign up for my newsletter to receive new episodes and other strange goodies straight to your inbox at kira.substack.com. Until next time. Mwah!